What a great reminder as we start a new year. Amen? Yeah. Hey, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Pastor Dale. If I have not met you yet, I'll be in the plaza afterwards. I'd love to get a chance to get to know you, maybe set up a time to connect sometime over coffee. But uh, if you're new or if you're not, open your Bibles. We go to the Word today in Ephesians chapter 3. We spent the fall studying what you just saw pictured on that video, that in Christ you are a new person, new creature, new life, adopted by the Father, redeemed by His Son, sealed by His Spirit, with new life, all given by grace, into a new family. Now, I just summarized nine sermons, all right? So that's where we've been in the fall. We took a break for Christmas, but now we're going to delve back into this book of Ephesians, beginning with this incredible prayer at the end of chapter 3. I love the timing on this thing because as we thought about launching the new year and maybe giving you some vision for the new year, this passage would be my go-to passage whether it was whether we were studying Ephesians or not. I love this passage as you think about the new year. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, take out your outlines if you'd like to take some notes. It'll help you learn a little more and most importantly, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the chance to uh, be together again as family, as a church family coming back off of the holidays. Many of us have been traveling, been out of town, been busy, been resting, been watching a lot of football. Uh, We thank you for an incredible uh, season of focusing on your birth, the gift of Christ, focusing on family and getting some rest. Father, now today, uh, help us to think forward. It's a great week to do that. We thank you, Father. 2015 is history. What went well, we take no pride in. What we struggled in, we thank you that we are under your grace. So no matter what 2015 was like, we thank you this is a new year. So teach us this morning about how to not just have another year, but have a new year in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the classic week in which everyone talks about what? Setting New Year's resolutions. Now, I'm not going to do a sermon on resolutions. Can you, can you be joyful over that? Huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need that because you've already done it. You've already been thinking that way. You hear about it. You hear all the reports. Uh, just this morning, I went on just to get the latest update. ABC News just did a Uh, a study, a a poll of over 5,000 people concerning setting New Year's resolutions. Now, what do you think the top five were? Uh, Okay, losing weight, that was actually number three. Losing weight was number three. More exercise. Um, Yeah, more exercise was under healthier lifestyle. That was number two. Getting more sleep didn't make, that would be under healthier lifestyle. I can slip that in somewhere else. Number five, what do you think number five was? Financial. Save more, spend less. Save more, spend less. Now, all of us did that in 2015 already, right? Right, right. Okay, save more, spend less was number five. Number four was more time with family and friends. People say, man, I just need more of that. Number three was lose weight. Totally irrelevant to me. Number two was healthier lifestyle. That's, that's been one of my goals already. Becky and I have been dropping some pounds already in 2015, hoping to continue. Number two was healthier lifestyle. Number one was this, enjoy life to the fullest. Enjoy life to the fullest. There is an internal yearning in people's souls 
to say, you know something, I don't want to just live and exist. I, I want to kind of have life to the fullest, whatever in the world that means. I often have said since coming here to Seacoast on weeks like this, it's easy to have another year. I think it's much harder to have a new year. To have another year, all you got to do is keep kicking. If you keep kicking, the heart starts, the heart keeps beating. If you just kind of survive the year, you will rack up one more year. You'll have another year. But I don't know about you, but very few people I talk to really want to have just another year. You'd like to think that something about this coming year will be new, will be different, will be a little bit better than 2015. I know that's true for me. And there's nothing wrong with all of those other goals. I'm not going to put those down. You know, being healthier is an important thing. In fact, my wife loved me so much that she actually bought me this fancy little bracelet that I am now enslaved to. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm now privileged to wear. Okay, you know. And, and it's tracking all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, it tracks the number of steps. So now I've got a goal. I've got a goal of 10,000 steps a day. You know, and, and, and you realize, well, that's easy. And, and, you know, then you realize, whoa, that's not so easy, you know. So I got to get up out of the easy chair because I was thinking, you know, if I'm watching, if I'm watching a football game, I should get steps for that. Amen. <laughs> you know, because, you know, my heart goes up and I'm energetic. I'm into it. My Mountaineers won last night. For those of you that stayed up and watched the game, if not, sorry about that. Any Arizona State fans in the room? Any Arizona State alum? Anyway, anyway, it's too bad. But, um, yeah, so, so we had a good day. Yeah, so I, but I didn't, it didn't give me any credit for that. I had to get out of the chair between one game and another and go for a walk with my wife, and that was a good thing. So I think this thing will help me. In fact, what I've learned is this year, as I'm preaching, you're going to see me doing this much more, you know, because I need to rack up steps. Okay, so, so if you notice me pacing more whenever I preach, I'm just kidding, I will not do that to you. But I will do this. But anyway, anyway. Wow, that just counted those. That's good. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with setting those types of goals. But let me go a step deeper with you this morning. What if, what if God said, I want to give you 56 seconds and you've got my undivided attention and you ask me for anything that you want to ask me for? You got 56 seconds to ask God for anything. And then time's up. What would you pray? Because I figure if I just got 56 seconds to talk to God about anything, I think I'm going to get pretty focused on what matters most. Does that make sense? What if I took it and made it more personal for those of us who are parents? What if you had 56 seconds to talk to God and ask God to do anything you could ask for, for your kids? What would you pray? 56 seconds to pray for your best friend. What would you pray? 56 seconds to pray for a new friend. Last night, Becky and I had a chance to watch a football game with a new friend, neighbor, that we don't really know very well yet. 56 seconds. What would you put into that prayer? 
The Apostle Paul in Ephesians just spent three chapters trying to teach his new spiritual children about their new life, their new faith, their new family. And now before he starts teaching them, and we'll start studying it next week, all the aspects of living out this Christian life in chapters 4 through 6, he stops and he prays a 56-second prayer. At least that's how long it took me to pray it. So we're going to look at what God, inspiring the Apostle Paul, felt were the 56 seconds of most important stuff, most important things that really can make a difference in our lives in 2016. Ready? Here we go. Listen to it first. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That He would grant you, here's the prayer, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far beyond, far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now some of you obsessive compulsives just timed that. But when I read it this morning, it was 56 seconds of what really matters. Father God, as we study this 56-second prayer, I pray that you would uh, teach us the things that matter most in our lives, in the lives of our family, friends, the things that matter most to you, the things that out of your deep love for us, uh, you're going to teach us from this prayer. So thanks for inspiring Paul to write it. Thank you for leaving it for us to guide us into 2016. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What this prayer focuses on is engaging with God. I've kind of called this sermon, Got God? Then get a dream. And I think that it, in essence, captures the passage. This passage is first all about a focus on God. It's all about a focus on reminding us and praying that we really would deeply understand who this person is that we call God. God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're all mentioned in this one prayer. And then he's going to talk about, if in light of that, if you got God, then good grief. In light of that, how does that affect your dreams and your thinking about the new year? So let's go there. Number one, got God. Number one, engage with the Father. And the phrase I like is with intimacy and awe. Engage with the Father, if you're taking some notes, with intimacy and awe. Listen to it again. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
Interesting that as he begins in 14 and 15, he emphasizes in that language two different aspects of God. And they're the same two aspects that I think Jesus mentioned when he said, hey, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. (coughs) Excuse me. Because in that you see two things. Number one, is you see the need for us to recognize the awe, to live with an awe of God, that he is worthy of worship and submission. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, when you bow before someone, what's that a symbol of? Number one, it's a symbol of of worshipful respect. And number two, it's a symbol of submission. I realize that God the Father deserves me to get on my knees, if not physically, at least in terms of my attitude toward Him, that I am in awe of Him. I am in submission to Him. I am saying, okay, God, as I go into 2016... Not my will, but thy will be done. That's the spirit of uh, how Jesus coaches us to pray. And it's right in this. You see it. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. And, and And then he acknowledges the bigness of God, the awesomeness of God, but also the intimacy of God because he calls him Father. He's approachable as a heavenly dad. So he, we're in awe of him and we submit to him, but we're, he is approachable. He still says, call me dad. Call me Father. He's not just God. He is God the Father. He says He is so big. He says He is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And and the emphasis, I think, is simply that God is the source of life. He's the source of, of all of humanity. No one lives and breathes who didn't get their life from God. He is ultimately the source of life The source of every family on the planet uh, owes their life to Him. He is our Heavenly Father. So you see that balance. Go back again on that slide, Apple, of of awe, of recognizing that He is so worthy of our worship and He's worthy of us as we begin the new year saying, okay, God, the, the best thing for me to pray for first is not for any resolution except I want to follow you. I want to submit to you. I want you to be God, and I will be your disciple. I will be your follower. You are the shepherd. I am a sheep. And I live and breathe for you. I don't expect you to live and breathe for me. And, you know, But it's that position before the Father that's kind of the foundation for everything. But yet also the intimacy level that God says, I'm your heavenly dad. So in the one sense, we get on our knees before God. In the other sense, the image is when we crawl up on his lap and cuddle up with him because he's like a loving dad who wants to hold you, wants to care for you. We're going to see that as we go through the passage. It's kind of been interesting that I think in my life I've seen, I've seen Christians in America kind of swing from one direction to another i think uh when i was growing up as a kid god was so big and awesome and that it was like he was unapproachable uh and then and then it kind of went to what no no god is your buddy god is your friend you know god just loves you and 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 then god kind of became so intimate that i think sometimes we lose our our respect for awe of god so you have to have an amazing awe of god as your creator the source of all life on the planet but yet at the same time he is so intimate that he's inviting us to to have a relationship with him as a dad as a loving heavenly father it's the foundation so we need him we need his help 
The idea, too, of getting on your knees before God is the image is that we pray more. The image is we pray more because we need more and we have a great dependence upon Him. So understanding that, you know, God, for me to have a new year that's different from last year, it's, it's not going to happen without you. So go into the year more prayerful, more dependent, more submissive to the Father because that places us in a position where something can then begin to happen. What is it that wants to happen? That's the second part of the prayer. He moves from the fact we need to engage with the Father more in prayer to we need to, if we've got God, ask Him to transform us by His Spirit from the inside out. Listen to the language of of this kind of life change, but especially on the inside. He says, I go before the Father. Why? Verse 16. That He would. Here's the first request. That He would grant you that He would give to you this gift, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Pull up there. That's the thought. Three quick observations. What He's really praying for, in a nutshell, is what I would call true spirituality. Not just doing church, but actually experiencing God uh, in, a, in a relationship with God that, that is what I would call true spirituality. Now, there are three key words or concepts in here that I want to just draw out quickly. Number one, be aware of the riches of the Father. He says, I want you, I, I'm praying that God would grant you from the riches of His glory all that you need. So he's recognizing there's this awareness that I wake up every day knowing that in Christ, that God supplies me with everything I need. That I'm complete in Christ in terms of all the resources I need to be changed and to be a different person in 2016. I have the resources in the Father. It's not up to me to manufacture them. God supplies the building blocks, you might say, for my spiritual growth. Number two, I'm aware of all that I have in the Father. That's actually Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 in a nutshell. Number two is I'm confident in the power of His Spirit. He says, I want you to receive all that you need from the riches of the Father to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So the emphasis there is that I go into the year confident that not only does God supply, the Father supplies the riches and the resources, the Spirit of God supplies the power. I remember and wake up daily thanking God that in Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells in me. Now, I can't feel Him, I can't see Him, but I have that promise. Romans 8, 9 says that uh, if any man be in Christ, he's, well, I, actually, Romans 8, 9, 2 Corinthians says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation, all things are made new. Romans 8, 9 says that that each believer is indwelt with the Spirit of God. It's not something I have to beg for, ask for, or earn. It happens the moment I engage with Jesus Christ as my Savior. Uh, in fact, it says if, if any man does not have Christ, he is none of his. He doesn't belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you and living in you. And it's His strength that we need to rely upon. So we need to claim that. Be aware of that. Don't ever feel you don't have the power to do anything that God wants you to do. Okay? Number three, not just aware of the riches, confident in the power of the Spirit, but then he talks about that the transformation he prays for is 
more of a heart to habit or inside out type transformation. He says, look at it, verse 17, so that because of the power of the Spirit and the resources of the Father, so that Christ may live or dwell in your hearts through faith. So now Christ is living within me. Often, for example, Frank often mentions his favorite life verse, uh, Galatians 2.20. Right, Frank? Galatians 2.20 talks about that the life I live now, I live by the strength of the Son of God, the power of the Son of God, who loved me, died for me, and is in me. But I live out of Christ. Wow, that's exciting. So when I go into the new year, and sometimes I can be very skeptical that anything's really going to change in 2016, because I know I have a tendency to just to repeat 2015, which was a repeat of 2014, which was a repeat of when? 2013. Can you count backwards? Okay. I know it's early morning, and I was up late watching my Mountaineers beat Arizona State, but I won't talk about that. But I'm transformed by the Son from heart at the heart level now why does he mention the heart i think he mentions the heart because god's goal for us is that we be changed at the character level not just the conduct level now does that mean that it's wrong to focus on changing my conduct no in fact i think this is a bit of a chicken and an egg thing in other words jesus often says that uh, as we that that for example he says lay up treasure in heaven because where your treasure is there your heart will be also So, in other words, as I uh, change my heart, uh, as my heart changes, I live out of my heart, and it's easier for me to change my behavior. But if I know that there's something in my life that needs to change, uh, as I focus on changing my behavior uh, under the grace of God, then taking steps of obedience to obey Christ and live differently in 2016 in any aspect of my life will help affect my heart so when i make the right choices and do what god tells me to do it actually affects my heart let me give you a perfect illustration every day from the context of marriage god tells me to love my wife as christ loved the church some days i wake up and man i'm just walking in the spirit ready to do that engaged with that and i and i look forward to serving becky and loving becky and sacrificing for becky and i'll do all this all kind of sweet stuff you know so sometimes it just flows out of my heart because i'm feeling the love man and then other days i wake up and i'm distracted and i'm busy and and maybe i'm not really feeling the love maybe i have a bit of a bad attitude maybe whatever maybe we've had a conflict in our marriage you know that that happens you know and, and when that happens maybe i'm not feeling those emotional feelings of love but when i say you know something no matter how i feel god says dale i want you to i want you to serve her and i and i step and i do something to show love to her to serve her and as i do guess what it begins to regenerate the emotions of love you know so a lot of times our actions flow out of our heart but then the actions taken in obedience to christ can often develop the heart also so it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing both are taught in scripture both are important and in fact what is my role in experiencing this change notice one word he says so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so the 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 role that god says dale exercise faith exercise your faith now, so if my role is faith, then 
what does that mean as I try to live differently in the coming year? You know, uh, as we've been talking about faith through the Christmas sermon series, I got a, a nice note from one of our members that said, Dale, here's how I think about faith. And I want to show it to you because I really like this. It said that faith is best defined as active trust. And at first I thought, hmm, faith, active trust. Because I know faith is all about what I believe. My faith is in God. I have faith that God is this way. I have faith that God has these promises for me. I have faith that God behaves in a certain way. There's things I believe about God based on what I know about God from the Scriptures and, and from my life. And, and my, that's, that's my faith as an object. But then I exercise faith whenever I put my trust in what I believe so that it changes the way I live. And, and both are important. But then he went on to say this, and I want to read it to you. He said, active faith is living according to what you have good reason to believe is true. I'll say that again. Living according to what you have good reason to believe is true. In other words, God isn't asking us to take blind leaps of faith. He's asking us to have an intelligent faith that is prayerfully explored in the Scriptures, that we really believe, but then don't just hold it as something you believe. If you really believe it, it needs to become active so that it changes the choices I make and the way I live. In fact, if you don't do that, here's what you end up with. I like this little analogy. Without reason to believe, you have blind faith. Without action, you have dead faith. You have a dead faith if you say it. Remember, James talks about, you know, if you say you believe blah, 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 and you don't act, uh, you don't do works out of what you say you believe, your faith is dead. So you need to understand what you believe. So in 2016, go deeper to understand, wow, this is my faith. It's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on truth and based on, uh, based on history and based on the Scriptures, and it's, it's real. And I have a faith that I hold to because I hold it confidently and firmly because I understand what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have done for me. I understand Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 and all the richness of that. I understand who I am in Jesus Christ. And out of that now, I'm ready to live life and do action and let it affect the way I live. Jesus put it real simple. He says, you know, if you want to test whether you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If, to some degree, if you're not keeping my commandments, you probably have a problem with you don't really love me. So obedience is a, is a way that you show your faith, show your love, um, and then love generates that same obedience so the bottom line i think is this in a 50 second prayer for your life or to or for mine number one is am i engaging i pray that we will engage our heavenly father with dependence and submission not my will but thy will be done man it's great to have a heavenly dad who's adopted us into his family, loves us that much, then let that grand God of the universe be God. 
and quit trying to be our own God and make up our own rules and make up our own definitions of what life is like when it really works. So let the Father be the Father and submit to Him. Number two, understand that the Spirit of God lives in you. So you can really anticipate. You know something? It can change. There's nothing in my life that is so powerful that the Spirit of God and the Word of God and, and, the, and the process of growing in Christ can't enable me to change because I have the Spirit living in me. So be changed from the inside out. But to do that, to do that, you've got to have motivation. Because it's like most resolutions. You know, what people lose is they're motivated for a week, right? Uh, how many of you have bought a gym membership in January and then never used it out after the month was over? Can I raise my hand? I, I did that a few years ago. Man, I got so motivated. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be ripped. I'm going to be, I'm going to, okay. Why are you laughing at that? Are you picturing, who, where'd the laughter come from on this side? Okay, okay, I know, okay. Talk to you later, but yeah, okay. But yeah, okay, so, so you know, I, I have a six-pack. I just keep it insulated, okay? <laughs> and that's okay. You know, God loves me, and my wife loves me. Okay, so I'm working at loving myself. Okay, that's harder. But, but, but the reality is, so I bought this gym membership. So I went to 24-Hour Fitness in Fullerton. I bought a gym membership, and, and it was cheaper if I bought a whole year. In fact, it was cheaper if I bought a whole year at Costco. So I bought it. I bought it on a whim at Costco. So I started going in January. And I was pretty good in January. I might have gone once in February. And I just got busy and busy. And I didn't have motivation. So... That's how these companies make money off people like me. Now, am I the only one in the room that's ever done that? Okay. A couple other, boop, okay. Yeah, you should say, it's okay, God loves you. All right. So get a Fitbit like me. But anyway, here we go. That way your wife knows how many steps you take every day. That's a scary thing, all right? So where's the motivation come from spiritually? And that's the third part of this prayer. I love it. In fact, if you don't read it the way he wrote it, it you don't capture the essence of it. Because I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints, all the other Christians, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled up to the fullness of God. Man, it's like Paul just goes on this rant about the awesomeness of the love of God. And it's interesting to me that when you break this prayer down, first it's we submit to the Father, we bow our knees before the Father, we depend on the power of the Spirit, and then thirdly, we are amazed by the love of the Son. Because, man, that's what gives me the motivation. That's why we got a big cross up here as a focus for our worship. It's because when I understand the cross, I understand that God so loved Dale that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, that if Dale would believe, he would not perish but have everlasting life. I understand the love of God, that He sacrificed Jesus 
That Jesus loved me so much that He was willing to be that sacrifice for my sin? That's awesome. See, we as Christians just get a little bit bored with the love of God because we've heard it too much. But He says, I want you to understand the... I want you to go deep this year in understanding the love of God. Dwell on it. Read about it. Think about it. Because the more we understand the depth of His love the more that I'm motivated to want to follow Him. Period. So make the love of Christ the focus. Three phrases I would pull out of the passage. He says, I want you to be rooted in My love. I want you to be grounded in My love. And I want you to know about my love with all the saints. That is, together in community. Let me talk about those one at a time briefly. Number one, to be rooted is to be nourished by His love. In fact, the Greek word for rooted is the word from which we get uh, like rhizone and all those uh, biological terms for the parts of the roots that kind of suck up the nutrients, right? Is that, is that what they're called? Rhizoids? Rhizones? It's the rhizoids in the rhizome, I think. Or is this from Star Wars? Uh, anyway, I, I think it's a new creature in Star Wars, the, 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 the rhizoids. But anyway, uh, whatever it is, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the same word that we use from, from Greek into English to talk about roots, the root system, because it sucks up the needed nutrients. And he says, I want you to be rooted in the love of Christ because it's going to nourish and refresh you. But then he also adds, but I want you to be grounded in it. Whole different word. This is the word that speaks not so much of the nutrients being sucked up, but the, the stability. So it stabilizes my life when I understand the love of Christ. Because life in 2016, can I make a, a prophecy for you? It will not go the way you expect it to go right now. In almost every single life in this room, you're going to have a surprise. You're going to have a, something negative. There will be negative experiences this year in almost every life. The reason we know that is if you go back over the past years, there's usually some negative experience in almost every year of your life. And if you go through a year and you have no negative experiences, then you are due for two the next year. So expect it. And the problem with shallow Christianity that's not rooted and grounded in understanding the love of God is when the negative stuff surprises us and happens, we begin to question, where is God? Does He give a rip about me? Does He care? Because if He cares, how could He let this happen? And that's where we have to be grounded in our faith and grounded in understanding of the love of Christ. That Jesus Himself predicted that we would suffer at times so suffering is a part of life on planet earth for right now now the cool thing is we've you're going to see god has this incredible eternal plan where we're going to have an eternity in a new body that doesn't need a fitbit or any other gym membership where we will all be healthy and eternally healthy and no sickness no disease no death 
forever and ever and ever. That's incredible. But for right now, God says, I need for my church to be allowed to go through some of the same sources of pain and suffering that everyone else goes through so that we can understand how to take the good news of Christ to a hurting world that can see the difference in what it's like to engage pain with Christ, knowing that God loves me no matter what's happening in my life, versus engaging pain without Christ where you don't know what the heck is up when things go wrong. So this is why I think if we understand the depth of God's love, it roots us, it grounds us, stabilizes us. And then he says this little phrase, and that you might know the love of Christ with all the saints. You know, that's not a throwaway phrase. What it's emphasizing is you need to know the love of Christ along with other believers, with all the church. Because together, you can remind one another of this love. I think it's an emphasis on the importance of being connected to the body of Christ. It's the importance, by the way, of being here every Sunday morning as a spiritual discipline to worship together, not just to worship off alone with God. There is a real tendency in the American church right now toward individualism in your relationship with God. It is not biblical and it's not healthy. And it's true that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. But that's never meant to say that we don't, as a community of believers, need one another. The average American Christian used to come to church, unless he was sick or on vacation, he would average coming to church about twice a week, every week. That was their rhythm in the way church happened. Now, we're not doing that, but you know we have our life groups and we have our Sunday morning experience. And, but, but that was history. And then more recently, surveys indicate that the average follower of Jesus who loves Jesus will average about twice a month at church, about twice a month in worship. So, you know, it's gone from pretty much four times a month or four weeks a month to about three weeks a month to, well, maybe I can do it two weeks a month because, you know, after all, I mean, there's other things to do in Southern California. And depending on what the weather's like when I wake up, you know, I mean, the beach is... The beach may go away. The surf may not rise again. I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that for, to guilt you into being at church. What I'm saying that is it's a healthy spiritual discipline to engage around the theme of the love of Christ and celebrate it with all the saints in community in the community of worship as part of our disciplines in the new year. Just try to make worship a priority in the new year. That's what I'm saying. Try to make your community of, of a life group a priority in the new year. If you're new to Seacoast, um, please sign up. Use the Connect card and just write on it, um, brunch, the, you know, the, the newcomer's brunch. And uh, it's coming up in two weeks. It's the first step into getting to know what this church is all about. And we'd love to serve you brunch on the 17th. If you've already done that, then your next step is sign up for Rooted. The new Rooted class helps root you and ground you in what it's like to be growing as a believer, follower of Jesus here at Seacoast. So these are opportunities. And then we want you, everyone, we, we encourage everyone to find one of our life groups that you can connect with. And let us help you do that. So that you can 
be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ with all the saints. With all the saints. Make it a priority to connect. And then last but not least, this incredible prayer moves into the final two verses. And after telling us, look, man, I really pray that we will engage with the Father in dependent prayer, submissive dependent prayer, that we will be filled with His Spirit and transformed from the inside out, that we will be motivated by really going deep on the love of Christ, man, being excited about the love of Christ. And if all that's true, then this is why you should be optimistic in 2016. Now to Him who is able, verse 20, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, I love that. What He's saying is this. If you've got this kind of a God, then you ought to dare to dream a little bigger. I don't know what our dreams have been in the past for our church. We ought to have a bigger dream for Seacoast. That we can have a bigger impact on Encinitas, a bigger impact on North County, and a bigger impact on the world, especially that place called Africa where God has opened up incredible opportunities for us. We ought to dream bigger for our personal lives that God will change us, grow us in 2016. You ought to dream a better dream for your kids. See, when was the last time that we prayed this type of a prayer for our children, our wives, our spouse, our friends? That they would know the Father intimately with awe. That they would know the power of His Spirit working within us. They would know the love of Christ. Those are the things that, to be honest, make a difference in the long run at changing 2016 to not just be another year, but to be a new year. Here at Seacoast, we like to say recently that we exist to build disciples who demonstrate the love of Jesus. We want to be demonstrating it in our everyday world, demonstrating it through our life groups, demonstrating it in us as a church family as we dream bigger in 2016. Just one quick illustration of this is we are going to do something we've never done before as a church. On February 28th, mark the date, uh, we're going to do a community serve day alongside of two other churches, Solana Beach Prez and The Mission. And we're going to be doing this because it's kind of the nickname of the day is the church has left the building. We're going to actually take a Sunday morning and we're not going to cancel worship, but we're going to worship by serving the community for one day. And our goal is for every single one of us, and we're going to offer all kinds of different ways to do this, we'll get involved in that one day of community service in the name of Christ to show the love of Jesus to our city. If you have projects that you would like, that you're thinking, wow, it'd be cool if we had a team of people to do this, or I'd like to lead a team to do that, then write on the Connect card even today or next week, hey, I've got an idea for a project and I'm willing to lead a team. Or I'm willing to lead a team. Someone else can have the idea, but I'll lead a team of 10 or 20 or 30 people to do something that displays the love of Christ to our city in a big way to the extent that we are willing to do it and the church leaves the building on a Sunday morning and we worship by serving. We're going to do it February 28th. Mark your calendars. we got big plans this year to expand what we're doing in Africa. 
huge opportunities to make a difference in Congo, in Rwanda, in Tanzania. God has opened very unique opportunities for us to build healthy leaders, key leaders in key denominations, key families, ministries like the Tabitha Center, rescuing prostitutes off the streets of Kinshasa, Congo, and for 1300 bucks we can launch a new Tabitha Center. You know something? I hope we do a dozen of them this year. We'll see what God does. But the point is, let's dream a little bigger. Let's dream bigger for our own lives. Let's dream bigger for our church. Let's dream bigger for our city. Let's dream bigger for Africa and say, God, blow our minds with what you do in and through us this year. That's my challenge to you as your pastor. You have 56 seconds to pray. I want to give you 56 seconds to to just close your eyes and pray, but focus on asking God to help you be in awe of the Father, be confident in the Spirit, be amazed by love, and to dream a bigger dream for your life. In fact, if you want to, you can pray with your eyes wide open and use that list as a guide. But personalize it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we have a lot of these 56-second conversations with you this year. I pray that you would uh, use this prayer in Ephesians to focus us as a church to, uh, to stay rooted and grounded in the Father and the Spirit and the Son and His love and to be bold and willing to pray bigger dreams and pursue bigger things for you. We pray that you would do that in our lives. Do it in my life. Do it in every life here. Do it everywhere from Encinitas to Africa. Thank you that we have all the resources from the Father, all the power of His Spirit, all the intimacy and love of the Son of God. So we have reason to be optimistic. So help us to not live assuming that the future will be like the past but help us to believe you, to have an active trust called faith and to follow you. And Father, even now as we give to you, let it never be a routine part of worship, but a very, very important expression of our trust in you, expression of our love for you, commitment to your mission. So we give now in Christ's name. Amen.